from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. And we are here in studio, live with a lightning round of the Badass Counseling Show. We've got folks checking in from as far away as Hungary and South Africa. And we've got Melvin down in Arizona. And we've got uh, crew working up there in North Dakota. few ex-North Dakota girls tuning in with us today. We've got folks in from everywhere. We've got Texas. We've got Houston in Texas as well as Austin. We've got the Texas contingent and the UK. So we're answering questions. This is what we do on the lightning round. I take listener questions. I'm presently at this moment live on YouTube, live on Facebook, and live on TikTok, and people are just feeding up their questions. Um, and so we're going to, uh, but before we dive into the questions, actually, I want to let you know that I am joined in studio by uh, KC over there in the booth. She does the behind the scenes stuff. She's the creative. She's the one feeding me, um, you know, bullshit. <laughs> She's flipping me off now. <laughs> and uh, I'm joined always ever the ever faithful and technical wizardriness of Rob the Rocket. Rob, what say ye? Not feeling like much of a wizard, but I'm feeling good. And I can sense you got a lot of energy today. This is going to be, I think, a thunder and lightning round. Oh, goodness sakes. Go for it. Goodness sakes. All right. Well, pressure's on. Folks, let's go for it. What are your questions for me today? Here we go. Opening up on a really a light subject here, in all capital letters, that's how light it is. How do you heal from such hurt you want to stop breathing? Please help. Obviously not light. I was being facetious. Rebecca, I am telling you flat out, I have been there. I'm telling you flat out that probably 90% of anybody who's watching this right now has been there or is there. Or if they haven't, they're going to be at some point in life. It is an inevitability of life that we all go through that sort of valley of the shadow of death, that that period where the weight of life, the pain of life, the searing, searing. Have you ever seen something seared on an extraordinarily hot pan where it's seared and you can hear it, you can see it? We've all been there to the point where you can't even breathe. We've all been there and it's horrible and it's horrible, yet it's also necessary for our becoming who we are. It's necessary for our strengthening. It's necessary for our breaking down. The breakdown is necessary because that's when we finally open up to the real self coming out. But first we have to endure those fires. And so you say, how do you heal from such pain, such hurt, that you stop breathing, that you want to stop breathing. You want to presumably kill yourself. I've been there too. I have nine inch scars up my forearms, right? I've been there, 12 years suicidal depression. How do you heal, honestly? All right, you're asking for the straight answer. I'll give you the straight answer. You have to go into that pain and you have to be deliberate about flushing that pain out. Okay, what does that mean? So many people, what do they do when they're having a hard time or when they're going through life struggles or when they're having problems in their marriage or whatever? They go to a therapist, or they go to their psychologist, psychiatrist, clergy person, or maybe they just go talk to their best friend who's always been a good listener, or they go to their favorite auntie who, you know, it was always so sweet as, and you can talk it out with them. Well, why the fuck would we want to talk when we're hurting? Why would anyone want to do that? Oh, because it feels good. 
because it feels good to get it off our chest. It feels good to unburden ourselves. It feels good to get a reassuring hug or someone to say, it's gonna be all right, you're doing all right. You make good decisions, you're doing just fine. It feels good to get it out, to express, to push out. Well, if that feels good in that two-hour conversation with Auntie Sue, then isn't it reasonable to assume that if I were to continue getting that out on my own, pen and paper, pencil and paper, flushing, 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 writing out all my feelings, writing out my overthinking at four in the morning, I was having uh, beers last night with a guy. We we're at a birthday party of a mutual friend. And uh, so he had been successful in his career, cop, and uh, risen very high in the ranks and so on and so forth. And we were talking and he said, you know, Sven, I still, ever since like my fifth year on the force, I've suffered from insomnia. I don't get sleep. And I've been retired now for, you know, 10 years. And uh, I don't get to sleep for fucking, <laughs> you know, till one in the morning. Now, it wasn't my place. He didn't ask for my input. It wasn't my place to say anything. Not my business. But- what you do in the case of overthinking, what you do in the case of staying up, what you do in the case where your pain is so bad is you have to flush it out. Because until that pain, that hurt, that anger, that sorrow, that disappointment, that betrayal, that rage is out of you, guess where it is? In of you. It's still inside of you. And it means going, going, you think, well, I've been crying my eyes out for two years. Crying isn't enough. It's just like saying, you know, yoga isn't enough for getting rid of your pain. Going for a run to get rid of your pain, no. That's, that's going to give you that endorphin rush. It's going to make you feel good, but it does nothing to cure the problem, the root. It's like, uh, you know, I want to fucking have something to get rid of my sore throat. Well, that's all well and good, but the virus is still in you. You can get rid of that sore throat, but what are you doing about the root problem? And it means going into it and committing to it. So even if you are going to therapy, what are you doing in the off season? That is to say, what are you doing during the week? as far as getting out. And when you're that far down, you have to commit to going into it hard and heavy and massive flushing. But it's not just flushing of the pain. It's also the fears in there and most importantly, the bullshit beliefs you've been taught about yourself that have led to this place. And again, as you guys have heard me say before, that's why I wrote my book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup. This is literally 80% of my counseling method in one book. It will take you deep. I have people that stall out on the very first uh, chapter, the, ch the questions at the end of the chapter. It's like, whoa, holy shit. They say, Sven, I had to close your book for four months. And people who get the book, they can't even bring themselves to read it. They're so scared. What are they scared of? Going into the shit that they know is in there and it's been there the whole time. Or scared that I, they don't know what's in there, but fear that it won't work, right? But at some point you have to have the courage to go into that deep shit and begin getting it the fuck out. So I am here, Rebecca, and you can do this shit. I was in a 12 year suicidal depression. I had no one to help me. I had to figure it out myself. All the shit that I figured out, I put into my counseling method. I put into these 800 plus whatever free videos that are all on all these websites, social sites. Made the free podcast. Rob, Rob doesn't get paid. Casey doesn't get paid. I don't get paid. We do this fucking podcast now for a year. We don't get paid for this shit. We're doing it so we're trying to help. We're trying to give you guys the tools because there's a mental health motherfucking crisis, especially like up in Canada, the great fucking country, but their resources are so slim in the US too. There's just not enough people to go around to help people. So you gotta start using the tools to do it yourself. And it's how hungry are you? Because the tools are there. I've created the tools and there are other great tools in my fucking book. I list nine other books that aren't mine. I don't get anything for fucking recommending them. Nine other books that helped me or that I recommend because, well, no, not or they've helped. They have helped me and I've been using them with other clients. And there are more books beyond this, but it's like, how seriously do you want to change? And now, Rebecca, I'm not just talking to you. I'm talking to everyone. How badly do you want change? Has your pain gotten bad enough that you're willing to start doing the motherfucking work on your own? All right. 
kick-ass question. That was great, Rebecca, and I'm praying for you, all right? Stay in touch on that because you can get through this. All right, next question. Is there healing possible for a narcissist? Is there anyone who give them and mirror and let them see what they are doing? Hermana, that is a great question. So many people, this, this phrase narcissist comes up all the time. As you people know, I don't use the phrase narcissist. I use the term extreme taker, okay? And I am not talking about a clinical narcissist actually diagnosed by a psychiatrist, psychologist. I'm just talking about this phrase that we all throw around, oh, he's a narcissist, she's a narcissist. There's nothing wrong with that. In a way, it gives us language for trying to understand something. But you're asking a very specific question that I get a lot, and that is, Will a narcissist change? Is there healing possible for a narcissist? Yes, there is. Yeah, anybody can fucking heal. You can heal from almost anything, all right? But that's not really the question. The question is, what's gonna get them to heal? <laughs> see, what a narcissist is as is an extreme taker. Why the fuck would I wanna quote unquote heal if I don't see anything wrong with me? Or why the fuck would I wanna heal if I'm getting everything? I'm getting all of these wonderful people in my life pouring love into my love cup. It's fantastic. I'm the center of the universe. I'm a taker. And I've got all these people pouring more and more love into my love cup. It's wonderful. Why the fuck would I change? If I'm the narcissist, why would I change? There is no incentive. There's no pain point, which implies what's going to cause them to change. Oh, when Susie walks away, lost that lover. Well, I'll just get a new one here. I've got Jenny. Jenny will pour love into my love cup, okay? And Jenny walks away or whatever. And I'm gonna siphon love from as many people as possible. But eventually there's going to be someone or someones who create loss for them, who make them feel loss, who create pain. And it is that pain that will break them. If it, The only thing that's gonna break them is pain, some sort of internal pain. And you wanna know the one that's most powerful? It's not always the husband. It's not always, you know, my wife leaving me. I mean, that can do it, but more often, because what they'll do is they'll pretend to change till they get you back. Then they'll then you'll leave six months later, and then they'll pretend to change, get you back. Will they ever really change? You want to know what really often breaks extreme takers and gets them to change? It's when little Susie, their daughter, is now 22 and wants nothing to do with them. Or little Bob, who's now... 18 says, mom, just, I, I, I don't want to hear from you anymore. You want to break a narcissist? <laughs> Watch how tough they are when their kid walks away from them. Now, a lot of them, some, a lot of narcissist extreme takers will double down, but then they're just fucking themselves. But the question you're asking, Hermana, Hermana asked the question, is there healing possible for a narcissist? Yes, but they got to want it. They're not going to want it until their pain has gotten bad enough. But your question implies that you're wanting someone to change and they're not changing. I mean, let's be really honest. That's what you're asking. You've got someone in your life, it could be you, maybe it's a self-admission, but you're wanting someone to change because it would make your life better, your relationship with better. And you said, is there anyone who can give them a mirror and let them see what they're doing? Well, anyone can. You said, is there anyone who can, who can give them a mirror? Sure, anyone can, but nobody is. And if you don't represent a significant enough loss, if you were to leave, then why the hell would they even care about your mirror? They'll just say, oh, fuck you, you're the problem, fuck you, you're the problem, right? And so ultimately the question is, what do you need to do for you? Because you're still wanting them to change to make you happy rather than asking yourself, what do I need to do to bring joy and peace in my life? All right, next question. What do you mean double down? What I mean when I said double down, we're talking about the narcissist thing, right? We're talking about extreme takers. Doubling down is when, let's say the wife leaves them or let's say, as I had set up before, let's say uh, I'm gonna make it a female because I always make 
I too often make it the male is the narcissist, right? So let's say uh, mom is now, you know, in her 50s and her son is now 19 or let's say 24. Let's say 24. That's a better number. And uh, son says, you know, mom, I I don't want to hear from you. I have to cut you off. You're just, you're just killing me here. You're killing me, ma. And what'll happen with some parents is they'll be like, fuck, I need my kids back. What do I got to do? And then they come to me and then we have to do the ugly work of going into their parenting and going into also how they were parented and getting out all their pain. Cause it's their shit from their own inner self that was never healed. That's causing them and has caused them to take advantage of people in their life. Not the least of which is their children. But what some parents will do is they'll say, now, nah, fuck you, you ungrateful little shit. Oh, my son's the problem. He's just this. Yeah, these kids nowadays, they just blame their fucking parents. They don't want to fucking, oh, yeah, wine, wine, wine. Get over it. You're 18. Get over it. That's doubling down. Doubling down is where the child, the adult child is now coming to the parent and saying, you did X, Y, and Z. And they've been doing it. They've been trying to create atonement. They've been trying to create some sort of connection. And the parent just keeps making it about the parent. No, you got to give to me. No, my, I'm going to defend me. And that kid keeps trying and trying. It's like, my, you ain't fucking listening. So eventually the kid becomes an adult or 24 or 35 or 47 and says, I'm done. And then a good parent says, whoa, fuck. A good parent would have never let it get to that. But a good parent says, okay, I need to look at me and I need to begin to fix me, even if I never get my child back. But the shitty parent says, nah, fuck off. Go your own way. It was always you. You're the problem. You're the problem. You're the problem. Hence that scene in Goodwill Hunting, right? Sean, you know, Robin Williams in the office and Matt Damon, and it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. And then they hug and they cry, and that's what it is. It's essentially the, the essence of, part of the essence of moving into true adulthood, true fullness of self, is the awareness that the shit that was done to me as a child wasn't my fault, but I was conditioned to believe it was. All right, next question. All right, no question in this one, but... Uh, Forever says, three years ago, I had to sell my home after the divorce uh, with cancer or a diagnosis with cancer. I lost my job and health insurance. I miss my home. I cry daily. Um, there's no question there, but I just want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And send in love, man. Sending love. Keep flushing out your pain and looking for new opportunities, but just build it brick by brick, little bit by little bit. All right. Next question from Kimberly Kay. I'm a counseling student. What's your best advice? I love your perspective. Honestly, my best advice for you is my best advice for what I was just saying about parents. Heal your own shit. Nothing will make you more effective, more powerful as a counselor, as a therapist than to have gone into your own shit and face those fucking demons. I mean the deepest, darkest, ugliest, nastiest shit. As a counseling student, what are the feelings you are feeling? Every time you're feeling a feeling, and this isn't just a counseling student, this is anybody. Anytime you're feeling a strong feeling, whoa, hey, there's some healing I can do. I'm, something's triggering me off, something's setting me off, great. Because what happens is our feelings get, we get so swollen with emotions, we get so swollen with feelings. Somebody cuts me off in traffic, or my boyfriend doesn't listen to me, or my wife, you know, she hasn't had sex with me in a month. Whatever it is, anything that gets me worked up is something going on inside of me. It's an opportunity to heal. And everything tracks back to that fucking childhood shit. The best counselors are the ones that have healed their shit, done the hero's journey into the dark forest inside, the really ugly stuff. And not just the pain, purging the pain, not just facing the fears, but it's uncovering and beginning to smash 
bullshit beliefs you were taught about yourself. Again, that's what I wrote the book for, to identify the belief systems that are driving how you see yourself, that are the virus infecting how you look at the world, how you walk in the world, because all that shit from back there, you're either compensating for or it's directly driving your decisions. I, this, I was telling you about this cop that I was talking with last night, really fucking good guy, I'll just call him Bobby. And uh, Bobby was saying how recently, you know, he had uh, hip surgery. He had torn some fucking flexor fucking shit, I don't fucking know. Had hurt the hip surgery, not a total knee, but just reconstructive, whatever. And he said, you know, it's really interesting, Sven, because I'm I'm up and walking. And he had it like fucking two weeks ago. I'm like, you're a killer, man. I'd be moaning on my couch. He says, well, there's a lot of pain. I'm like, <laughs> so he's up and walking and stuff. He says, but I stand a lot, whichever side. He, let's say he had it on his right side. I stand a lot on my left side. And now my left side is starting to hurt. And my back is starting to hurt because I am, wait for it, compensating for the pain on the right side, right? He's giving more weight onto his left side. Well, it's the same way with this shit inside from our past. We're compensating for things that we don't even know are there. So uh, we were just uh, taping an episode earlier today with a fellow named Derek, real nice guy, and uh, some of the messages that Derek got in his childhood. And if you want to watch the episode, it's uh, actually up on YouTube or it's loading or something. We literally just finished taping it and it's live. And uh, so you get all the behind the scenes shit there that you don't get on the actual podcast itself. Um, and it's the video. And we were talking about, initially, he basically said, no, I had a good childhood, nothing wrong there. And then we went into it some more, went into it some more, and we discovered that he got the messages, he's less important. And that um, his, you know, don't be a burden to a child. And also he, he got somewhere in him, he got the realization, I need to keep quiet, fly below the radar and not make waves, keep the peace. And then I said, oh, wow, that's precisely the, the message you carried through your divorce or through your marriage of 20 years that you're now divorcing. He's like, fuck, you're right, exactly. We're compensating for, or we're flat out enacting messages we got back then. So back to you, Kimberly Kay. You're a counseling student. What's your best advice? Heal yourself. Go into your deepest, darkest shit. You, that will make you so powerful. Why? Because you'll know where to take people in their own shit. If you can excel at healing yourself, then you'll know the way marks along the way in helping others to heal. You'll know what their fears are. When I walk into a session with someone, I know what their fucking fears are. Even in your question right now, I know what your fears are in all likelihood, just based on patterns, but also because I've confronted those myself. People say online, you know, oh, Sven, we like that you're real or, you know, you're earthy and, you know, you put it plain and so on and so forth. And, you know, it's not the book shit. And there are a lot of great therapists out there that do have a lot of great book shit that I don't have. And God bless them. Anybody in the trenches working with people, clergy, rabbis, fucking, you know, therapists, God bless you. And I'm, I'm grateful. Okay. But the most powerful shit, it's like when people say, my dad was a chaplain. Okay. My dad was a chaplain at the Veterans Hospital in Minneapolis back in the 80s and 90s, early 2000s. And he was always very good at what he did. But sometimes he'd walk in with a, to a veteran's room and the veteran's first question would be, uh, hey, chappy, you know, chaplain. Uh, were you actually in war yourself? And he'd say, no, sir, I'm not. If you want a uh, chaplain who was in war or was in the military, I'm happy to go get you one. We've got a lot of good ones. And he was flat up. Some people want someone to counsel them who has been through what they have been through. Some people want a, a therapist in divorce or a clergy person in divorce when they're going through their own divorce who has been through a divorce themselves. Some people don't care. Okay. But what I'm saying is you bring a different weight, you bring a different power, you bring a different insight when you've healed yourself. 
because you will know where your people are at. You'll have a greater compassion, but you'll also have a greater courage. And that's the other piece. In your parenting, in your being a counseling, uh, a therapist, it's courage. Courage asks the hard questions, the scary questions. The ones you're naturally curious about, curious about are the shit that doesn't make sense. All right, next question. Sven, let me throw you a curve here. Yeah. Since it's time for a break, do you want to talk about your new book that's uh, coming out? Ah, the title of the book is Badass Wisdom. And uh, the subtitle, I, it's long. I forgot what uh, we ended up creating, but I love it. It's uh, uh, killer meditational to fucking punch you in the face and help you in your journaling and he finally heal your shit or something very clever like that. Only one swear word, though. I tried to get in more, but some folks said probably one's enough, you know. He'll, you know, kick your ass or heal your shit. That's probably enough. Um, anyway, it's called Badass Wisdom, and it's going to be available very, very soon, as in potentially this week or next week on um, on audiobook. And as you know, my audiobooks are only available on the Badass Counseling website. I used to have them on Audible and another platform, and uh, they sort of take advantage of their author's royalties. And so Badass Counseling website, everything is there. Um and also counseling services. If you want counseling with me, go to the counseling page on Badass Counseling. Rob, uh, something else to say on Badass Wisdom? No, I'm just waiting to hit the disclaimer button. What's our disclaimer button? Here it is. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the Badass. Yes, we are back. I'm back. You're back. Got your back. All righty, Aphrodite. Um, next question. What causes people to take care of others or animals to the detriment of their own lives? Great question. Love that question. Um, any number of reasons, uh, and usually they're all woven together. One, uh, anybody who's not taking care of their own life was at some point inculturated to believe, indoctrinated, conditioned to believe that they don't matter. They were conditioned to believe that the way to get love is to give love. And they have a lot, and third, they have a lot of love to give, but it makes them feel good to give to something particularly that won't hurt them. Isn't it interesting? You said they give to others or to animals, uh, as in not in a relationship or not to themselves, and animals not going to hurt them. I mean, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, if you have a pet chimpanzee and it hurts you, or, we had one in my town here that somebody owned a pet chimpanzee, I think it was. Was that what it was, Rob? Yes, it was a chimpanzee. It was a horrible story. Yeah, and not good. Anyway, uh, not really the point. So it's it's believing that I'm not deserving of love. The essence isn't, the real problem isn't that they're giving so much love to others. The problem is that they're not giving it to themselves. They're not taking care of themselves. And that comes from conditioning. The only reason somebody is not taking care of themselves is because they were conditioned in childhood to believe that they're not important, that they don't matter, that their needs don't matter, and or that the only way to ever get love or make someone like me or keep them from not leaving me, don't leave me, don't leave me, don't leave me, is by giving, 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 giving. And I talk about that in the book, in There's a Hole in My Love Cup. I talk about a relationship camel. You know, a relation a camel can go long distances on a little bit of water, a little bit of fat in their hump, right? Long distance on a little bit. A relationship camel is someone who can go a long distance in a relationship or a friendship or a brother-sister relationship or a love relationship. Just give me a little bit of love. I'll do everything for you in return or in advance. I'll give you this much. Just give me this tiny little bit, please, 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 because I can go a long distance on a little bit of love. Anybody who's not taking care of themselves has been conditioned to believe that they don't fucking matter. And they still have a lot of love to give and it makes them feel good. 
Giving love to others is as much of a drug as food or fucking cocaine, man. It is a powerful drug, right? But it's just like any drug. If you do it too much, if you do it and do it and do it and do it at the detriment to your own self, you know, it's going to wear you down. You know, the martyr, the classic martyr mother, the classic um, person who's, uh, you know, burns out as a clergy person, as a doctor, as a nurse, any profession you can burn out, but especially professions where you're giving, 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 it feels good to give. And it's not just, it makes you happy, but there's a deep fulfillment from the giving, but it's burning you out because you're not honoring yourself. And that comes from self-loathing or self not mattering, that sort of thing. All right, next question. What do you think of shadow work? I'm all for it. I think it's great. And in a, in a way, that's really more or less what I'm doing. I just don't use that language. It's great language. God bless you, shadow work. What shadow work basically is, is you've got shit deep down inside you that you don't want to fucking touch that is too painful, but you also got shit messages inside of you and about how you're supposed to be in life that you had to pack down. So for instance, one of the shadow messages in my home growing up was uh, money is bad. My parents were clergy, World War II generation clergy. And, uh, you know, uh, but not the kind of uh, pastor and wife that shoved religion down your throat. You know, I mean, religion was absolutely our entire life. Every house guest, every meal, my dad's job, my, you know, on Saturday mornings, dad would give me a quarter to go into our big suburban church and put all the little, restock the membership cards and pull out all the little pencils and go sharpen them and shit. My whole life was the fucking church, all right? So they grew up in the in the ethos of, Giving, giving, giving to others, that the honorable path, not just the Jesus path, but just that generation, man, that the honorable people, that the strong have a responsibility for the weak, that the rich have a responsibility for the poor, that in the end, we are called to go where the need is the greatest and do the fucking work. That was the ethos I was, uh, I grew up in. My parents worked hard when they died in their 90s. You know, they had, you know, however many, they had plenty of money in the bank. They weren't rich. They'd always worked in the church or in the, as chaplain, whatever, and mom as an educator in the church and all that shit. And uh, so they didn't have big income jobs, but they fucking saved. We always had, you know, we always had food on the table, clothes on our back. Um, but the ethos was definitely don't, you know, money's bad. And so if you embraced money, as one of my brothers did, he sort of said, well, fuck that. And he became partly a rebel and he retired at the age of 35, worth hundreds of millions, whatever the fuck, you know, um, and uh, he felt bad a long time, but I mean, we love him. He's our brother. I love him to death and all this shit. And, and our family also, Shadow, as silly as this sounds, growing up among Swedish Lutheran Americans in Minnesota, we are like, my girlfriend is Italian. Loud, crazy house. Our house, loud and crazy because there were six boys, basically. But what was valued was calm and, you know, Swedish American, stoic and just quiet and everything. And I was this loud, fucking obnoxious person. And that was partly my shadow, this other side of me and the swearing and all this shit. And it's just who the fuck I am. So it's the integration of that which you've been told about yourself is bad. It's the integration of the other side of the beliefs that you've been taught about life and about self. It's the integration. It's bringing up all the pain. It's bringing up all the fears, all the ugly stuff from your past, the implications of how you were raised that you may not even want to look at. But my parents were good people. Yeah, but they made mistakes and they inflict a lot of pain, perhaps unintentionally. It's the integration. It's bringing it all up and no longer having the me and then the a part of me that I'm running from. And it's becoming full and, and integrated self. All right, next question. Why do some men have their need to please only their mother? She cannot be upset. She cannot be angry, et cetera. And it's his job. It's 
his job or sibling's job to keep her happy or only doing what she approves of and, and doesn't criticize. Uh, what's with this phenomenon? How to deal with this? Obviously, Joan, you're on the receiving end of that in terms of not you're the mom, you're the other person. You're likely in a relationship with or married to someone who is a, a guy who feels the need to please his mother all the time and don't upset her and don't let her get angry and so forth. It's your job and your sibling's job to keep her happy. All right, this, this conditioning didn't start, Joan, in your uh, husband's or your partner's uh, adulthood. This started back in childhood, that it's been about the mom the whole time. Cle obviously, clearly, she's the power source in the family, and everyone's afraid of her wrath. When they were children, they were afraid. Mom had the power, right? So, uh, or either they feared her wrath or they feared her sadness, <laughs> and especially if you're a little boy, boy, your mom being sad is fucking heartbreaking. Any child. And so what does the child want to do? The child wants to take care of the mom, take care of the dad. Dads do this shit too, right? And make them feel good because it's painful for a child to see their parent in pain or to see their parent mad at them. So this has been conditioned their whole fucking life. And even into adulthood, your husband, I'm just going to say it's your husband who is this way. Your husband is terrified of angering his mom. Angry. You didn't say, you didn't even say making her sad. You said making her angry. So obviously he fears his mom. But not only that, see, even if your husband were to stand up to his mom and say, you know, mom, I got to create some distance here. Or I'm not coming over. You know, I just, I can't do that. I've got my own family. I've got my own wife. I've got my own kids right? If he were to do that, it's not just that he would incur mom's wrath, but see now the entire family myth system is that mom is most important. She's queen bee and we all exist to serve her, which means he would not only incur her wrath, he would likely incur his father's wrath and his sibling's wrath. So it's a potential ostracization from the entire family to be ostracized, to be told you're the shitbag, you're the fucking jerk. Why are you doing this? Why are you being mean to mom? Right? And so, um, and, but now he's an adult. So now it's sheer cowardice. And he is choosing his wife, his mother over his wife, over his children. That's cowardice. And at some point, you got to face your shit. And he is choosing. And the sucky part is if you are the wife, the sucky part is if you are the child to have your own father or mother, parent for the non-binaries, it is sucky to have your own parent convey to you, you are not important enough to me or to have your own spouse convey to you, you are not important enough to me to stand up to my mom. I'm going to live in fear. Or I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna stand up to my dad. I live in fear. I'm choosing them over you. And that means you as the wife and you as the kids are in fact prisoner of the mother. And where this shit show really gets ugly is then when the children of the guy who won't stand up to his mom, when those children get to whatever age and they say, fuck you, old man, fuck you, I'm done. You didn't want me back then. I don't want you now. Fuck off. Or where the wife finally says, listen, Joe, I can't handle this. You're done. You're toast. I'm done. I'm so done with your mother running our fucking family. And God bless her for doing it. Because what are you doing? You're breaking a generational cycle and you're conditioning your own kids. Your own kids, you are now modeling for your own kids what it means to stand up to power and to give the children a sense of mattering because it's, and this is fucked up. And a lot of people don't like when I say this, but in the end, it's fucking true. If I am allowing my partner to treat my children this way, to teach them this infrastructure of what a family really is, fucked up as it is, if I'm allowing that, if I'm not providing a counter message to the children in word and in deed, if I'm not providing a counter message, then I'm in fact endorsing how you are treating your children. I am endorsing fundamentally your mother raising our kids by my not standing up, shutting it down, 
I'm endorsing it. You okay with that? All right, fine humans. What's next? Rob, you got something for me over on YouTube? How about this? Got out of a five-year engagement in May. He chose to leave. We did no contact for three months and started talking in August because he wanted to see if we can, quote, fix things, end quote. But then it's still an IDK, I don't know, I don't or a maybe. Know. Also found out he slept with someone from his past <laughs> after he had left. What do I do? Stop laughing. So, no, this no, is no, serious. no, it is serious. It's just I saw that coming. Yeah. I go I back, read did. the opening sentence. Who broke it off in May? It says, um, got out of a five-year engagement in May. He chose to leave. No contact for of three course. months. Started talking of in course. August because he wanted to see if we can fix Bullshit. things. Oh, my God. And that now you know the rest of the Five-year engagement. My first question is, why were you engaged for five years? Nothing wrong with it. It's your life. You can do whatever the fuck you want. I'd be curious to know why there was a, whose idea was it that it needed to be, oh no, let's add it another year. I mean, come on. Anybody gets engaged, it's basically like, okay, we're getting married in a year. I mean, that's pretty standard. It's not, you don't have to. You can get married tomorrow. You can get married in 10 years. There's no rules, but generally five years, does she say? Um, no. Okay. Anyway, if she does, let me know. Uh, yeah, so five-year engagement. My my bet, he's kicking the can down the road, doesn't want to get fucking married or isn't sure. Maybe he feels trapped or maybe he just isn't done sowing his fucking wild oats or maybe he's just a fucking douchebag. But the bottom line is, then he breaks off the five-year engagement and goes fucking shadow, goes ghosty ghost for three months. Oh yeah, gee, I wonder what he's fucking doing. And then he comes back and he says, oh, but let's see if we can work it out. In other words, I went and I fucked and I really liked her and she probably dumped me and I want you back, I want you back. This cocksucker, what he wants is just a constant flow of love. He What he wants is he doesn't just want a constant flow of love pouring into his love cup. He wants your love. He wants you hanging around another year, another year, another year. And then he's going to dump you for a few months. And then he's going to go get another person pouring love into his love cup. So now he's got you hanging around waiting to give him more love. And he's stealing from this person. And this person says, oh, you're a twat. And then he gets rid of her or she more likely gets rid of him. And says, oh, come back. Give me that love again. Give me that love again. You let him get away with this once and it will happen again. And you will kick yourself fucking later. You will fucking kick yourself. I guarantee it. What does she say? Still nothing? No other comment. Nope. All right, fair enough. I honestly, honestly swear to God, what needs to happen here, and this is such a beautiful question because I get so many couples when they come, somebody comes to me 10, 20, 30 years in the divorce and I track back and we dig, 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 dig. The signs were always there before the wedding. There were small signs, small signs. Although sometimes it happens the day after the wedding, but the signs were there. And it doesn't start big, it starts small. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Do you want to know what you really need? And what was the person's name? First name. Did they give a name? Uh, Leslie. Leslie, honestly, you want to know what you really need? I'm going to tell you straight up. He wants to see if we can make it work. And I'm betting you do too, because otherwise you wouldn't even be asking the question. If you weren't at least somewhat interested in making it work, you would have said, fuck that shit. I, you know, this happened last month. I'm not even interested. No, no, no. So you, part of you wants to make it work. And I get that. It's love. You guys have been together a long time. I'm not disputing that. However, this What's needed is in couples counseling. Couples counseling is the furthest thing from what you guys need. What you each need is severe, deep individual counseling. Him, obviously, he's jumping around. He doesn't know his ass from his elbow. He doesn't know what he wants, right? But that's because of pain inside. That's because of his own fears inside. That's because of his own fucking not knowing who the fuck he is. He has to get his shit out. But here's the real deal. The real shit is you got to get counseling. Not because there's anything wrong with you, but because... You have shit in there. And people don't like it when I say this. And I have a chapter in the book about it. Unhealthy people come in twos. 
By definition, a healthy person will not get into or stay in a relationship with an unhealthy person because they'll recognize. When you're healthy, you recognize toxicity in small doses and you nip that shit in the bud or you get the fuck out. All right, so the mere fact that you've allowed someone to kick, and I'm not blaming you. I'm not saying you're the cause. I'm saying you're allowing a repeated behavior of him kicking the can down the road, him walking away from you, going to fuck somebody else, and then begging for you back, all right? And you've got the opportunity to heal yourself and you're gonna need to. And you wanna know why? Because there are signs and he's exhibiting signs and he always has, I guarantee it. But the more I get my own shit out of there, like, oh, I don't wanna leave him or, oh, he's such a nice guy or gee, what would my parents say if you know we broke up or I may not find anyone else or I hate being alone. You've got shit going on inside of you that is causing you to not see the signs or to see the signs and minimize their importance, all right? And as a result, things get bigger and bigger and bigger. Big problems always start small, right? And so if you don't heal yourself and thus give yourself the ability to hold him accountable at every turn, to stand up to him when he slides or when he disses you or when he you know, doesn't, uh, something feels off. If you don't have the courage to do that every time and if you don't have the awareness of what's going on inside of you to feel when something doesn't feel right, you're just gonna slide right back into this exact same spot. It's not couples counseling that you need. You each need individual counseling. Rob? You have a compliment here from another listener who's listening to this. Okay. Ready for this? I am. This is a guy named Michael. I like the way you throw out my own bullshit right up to my face. Thanks, man. <laughs> that, is, that is you, my friend. You're welcome, Michael. Glad to help out. All right. All right, here we go. Carol has a good one. I like this, Carol. Thanks for your question. Carol says, love and affection terrifies me three years out of a toxic. I can't believe they are not full of shit. Absolutely. I mean, come on. We've all been hurt in a relationship, gotten stung, opened up, and it felt like love, and maybe it was love and so forth. And then they hurt you. They betray you. They Or it just crumbles. Or as we were just talking about with um, someone else, you know, um, they choose their mom over you or they choose their dad or they can't, they don't want to leave their job, whatever. It hurts me because I've opened up and then you not wanted it or you, you, you walked away. Maybe it's not even that you didn't want me. You didn't want a relationship with me, which basically feels the same. And so what Carol is saying, I'm going to read it again. Carol says, love and affection terrifies, terrifies, plural, me. Uh, I'm just reading it as it is. Three years out of a toxic, I can't believe they are not full of shit. That's right, that's right. So in other words, and I'm not saying you're not justified, Carol. When we've been in that pain, you're justified in feeling what you feel. No doubt, indisputable, 100%. But here's the thing. That shit, if you actually want a relationship, and the truth is, you obviously do because you're obviously dating. And how do I know that? Because you said, um, I can't believe they are not full of shit. That's present tense. In other words, you are seeing people and you still believe they're full of shit, which means you're dating, which means you likely want to be in a relationship. Hell, you wouldn't even pose this question about relationships and not believing people unless you wanted it. If you were over relationships completely, why would you be asking a question about relationships? No, you obviously want a relationship, all right? But you're terrified. And the truth is this terror, this fear will drive all your decisions. Just like the guy compensating for getting hip surgery, he's compensating on the other hip, right? And it's causing pain in other parts of his body. The whole system starts to shut down. You'll be compensating for all that pain in your past, which simply means to me, you've got pain in there, extreme pain, bad pain that hasn't come out. That's it. You're living in fear. And maybe you guys have heard me say this before or not. Fear and happiness are inversely correlated. In mathematics, 
When something is inversely correlated, all that means is the more you have of something, the less you have of something else. Some parents parent this way. In divorce, it's like another way to refer to it is, is sort of a zero-sum game. That if you give love to your father, it means you don't love me, right? Well, it's fucking asinine. I mean, it's just, that's the thinking of a fucking child who happens to be no longer, you know, 10, right? That if you give more to something else. Well, in the case of fear and happiness, the more you live in fear, the less happiness you're going to have. The more fear governs your love relationships, the more fear governs your parenting, governs your career, the less happiness you're going to have. Why? You want to know why? Because what fear does is it causes this. It causes a tightening. It causes a closing in on oneself. We begin to live in fear and fearful. Do you want to know what I do when I'm walking into a meeting or when I'm going into a group where I don't know the people or where I'm going to speak to a, a large audience or whatever. Honestly, I don't do it every time, but it's one of my pregame sort of rituals. As I'm walking in, as I'm about to open the door to the conference room, or as I'm going into a session with some heavy hitters, you know, who are, you know, bringing me in to do, uh, you know, corporate group counseling or whatever it might be, I literally run through my head and sometimes I'll even say it out loud. These fuckers love me. I, I'm fucking awesome. These fuckers love me. This is great. Believing you are in a situation where you are loved, do you know what that does? It does this, it opens us. It opens us. Fear closes us down. And when you're closed down and you're living in defense mode and behind armor, that's not a position of happiness. It's a position of defending myself from future pain. Why would you be in fear of future pain? Because of past pain. And that past pain is still in there. The more you flush it out, the more you go into it. Again, that's what this podcast is for, to help you, to push you to do the journaling and to do the letter writing and so forth. And that's what the book is for, to help you get all that shit out. And then you want to know what happens? The less that is there, you still have that fear of that happening. Sure, it's always there, but it doesn't grip you. The truth is any relationship. I've been in a relationship with a wonderful woman for 10 years. She tolerates me which is no small feat, as Rob well knows. Uh, Casey's laughing over I, there. I have a great relationship. She tolerates me. Exactly, exactly. Although, if I'm honest, I mean, I don't, I don't go for that, oh, you know, happy wife, happy life crap. No, it's two people. And uh, so, you know, she'll be the first one to say, no, Sven tolerates me um, and whatever. But uh, it, it works. And I know on any given day, and she knows it too, and we talk about this, especially at our age. I'm 56, she's 60. We talk about it regularly. It's not a taboo subject. It's like if our agreement from the beginning has been, if one person needs to walk away, that's okay. Just have the courtesy to tell the other person and to talk it out before you go off doing some funky shit. And you don't do, we don't do funky shit at our age. I mean, we don't, maybe other people do, but you know, when I was in my 20s or 30s, sure, somebody might cheat, you know, you're young, you don't understand life. So the understanding is that it can always end. And we both talk about it. It would break our hearts. It would break my heart. We would grieve. And then you, what do you do? What do you do when you lose something you love? You grieve. You grieve. You flush and you flush and you flush. You keen, right? You, you, you pour out your pain and your sadness. And I recommend doing it in words because it's far more powerful in addition to the crying and so forth. And eventually then life goes on. You discover the sun is shining again. You find yourself spontaneously laughing again. In other words, if I live in fear of the pain, I will never engage in the good. I will never engage in the pursuits that move my soul. That means once I learn mechanisms for moving through the pain, then the pain becomes less fearful and I can re-engage in life. I had someone tell me very, very, very recently in the last 24 hours, <clears throat> 
that they had gone through a massive trauma and they're going through another new massive trauma, but because they had learned some of the tools from our, our show that you guys are listening to, that they had some tools for getting through some of that pain. All of a sudden, pain wasn't quite as scary. And then if a bigger pain comes later, we have some tools in place for addressing it. Rob, you want to say something? I got a question if you're ready for one. Lay it on me, Mooko. It's, uh, it, <laughs> yeah, it's me. Uh, this is from uh, someone named Kat. It's a very sad story. I think you may be able to help her. All right. Two months ago, my man and I got into a fight. My service dog... This draws on themes that we've been touching on today, animals and pain. Mm. My service dog was protecting me, but my partner punted her so hard she passed away that night. He's in jail wanting to work things out. I feel trapped. I don't want to fight anymore. I want to heal. Wow. Uh, I don't know how much you guys have heard us talk on the show about animals. You hear us refer to Carly, the studio cat, who was out and prowling earlier. Um, and we have, <laughs> what was that, Carly? <laughs> we have Carly, the studio cat. Um, I have three dogs, a Rhodesian Ridgeback, two Morkies, um, and squirrels and bugs. My girlfriend loves the butterflies and the, and the uh, dragonflies and all that in our yard. And we, you know, sort of love animals. Rob, however, lives in a menagerie, a fucking zoo, goats and ducks and all turkeys and all sorts of stuff. Love it. I tolerate them. <laughs> all right. <Yeah. laughs> but some of them are darn cute. They're fostering a, a chihuahua right now, right? Very cute. Adorable. Right. Okay. Anyway, the point is we love animals on this show. KC, is, she's like got her pom-poms out. She's saying, yeah, animals. We love animals on this show. And so to hear that your um, lover punted a dog across the room in such a fit of rage, your service dog, your comfort dog, uh, in such fit of rage that it killed the animal. Um, I don't mean to be a fucking asshole here, but there is a special place in hell for somebody who does that shit. Sorry, there just is. Now, that's not why you came on. Uh, you asked the question, pose the question one more time, Rob, if you got it. I think the question was basically that... Uh, do you have it, Rob? I do. Okay. I do. She wants to heal? Um, he's in jail now, wanting to work things out. I feel trapped. I don't want to fight anymore. I want to heal. Okay. You don't state specifically what you want to heal. Is it you want you to heal or you want to heal the relationship? But the mere fact that you say you feel trapped indicates, well, who would you be trapped between? Clearly, you're trapped... Trapped implies you're down or something, or you're caught between. You're stuck. You don't know which way to go, Right. Yet you have full autonomy. This is your life. You get to live it your way. So that implies to me that you have something you want to do, but you feel trapped you, by him, that he wants you to do something else. And the mere fact that you state that he wants you back in the relationship implies to me you want out of the relationship. Right. And it's a hard position to be in when you want something. And then this person that you've always loved wants something else, wants you back. And it's nice to be wanted. But uh, a few things. One, if, first of all, the obvious one. If somebody has that much fucking rage in them that they would kill an animal, and they can say after the fact it was unintentional, yeah, I, I'm sure it was unintentional because, yeah, now you're in jail. I'm sure if you had knew, known that was a conclusion, which you're pretty fucking stupid if you don't know that's a conclusion of killing an animal. Well, I didn't know I'd kill him. Yeah, really? Punting him so hard across the room? That's fine. But you did it anyway. Somebody who has that much uncontrolled anger has so much fucking pain and anger and rage inside of them. I'll be really honest with you. I wouldn't want a fucking relationship with them. I wouldn't want to be their friend. They came to me for counseling. I would, as long as they're paying, you know, or they're just homeless or something. But 
No, I would not want somebody like that around me, around my kids, around my girlfriend, around my animals, obviously. But you feel the tug with your heart or what it is, what keeps you trapped between what you really want, which I believe is to get out and staying in is I'm betting you fear his backlash or you fear him begging you and pleading you and you don't know how to say no or you do know how to say no, but it's terrifying to stand up for yourself with your no. And I feel bad for you. I really do. I know what it's like to be in a relationship with someone who's violent. I was in two very violent relationships. And as people don't believe it, when you're six foot four, 275 pounds, mostly muscle, people don't believe that you're the one being abused. You have no fucking clue if you think that. So I know what it's like to be in that position. All right. Uh, But in the end, you have to find that no that rises up from within you, that that righteous no that says no, and you're not going to bully me. And I'm going to do this. And if you need to employ the law to help you, whatever. Rob, go ahead. I think I have this summary here from another listener. Anyone who abuses children and animals needs to be rejected everywhere. Hey, that works. Until they are contrite and want help for themselves, all right? Um, But yeah, you don't want to be in a relationship with that, but it means standing up. And if they're that angry of a person, it's probably scary for you, which means you need to employ the resources of any friends, family, and definitely the law. Uh, Keep it on your side, but... It's time to live your life because what's implied in your unwillingness to simply go the direction you need to go with your life is that you don't believe in you enough. You've been taught that your voice, your needs, your wants, your feelings don't matter or don't matter enough to act on and live by. And that's the juncture that you're at. In a way, yes, this is the presenting problem. This is the battle. But the real war is the messages you received about yourself in childhood that said your shit doesn't matter. And gee, don't make somebody else angry or don't hurt them. And serve other people. And that's the shit that's got to change. And you only solve that by going inside and getting those message out of you, messages out of you. I'm going to take one more question. I always prioritize other people in my life, but it seems others won't prioritize me. Why is that? Okay. I'm going to be really, 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 really honest with you. Okay. It's not pretty. doesn't feel good, but it's the truth. Again, the question, I always prioritize other people in my life, but it seems others won't prioritize me. Why is that? Because you have trained them to believe that you are not a priority. You have been conditioned, first of all, in your own childhood to believe you're not a priority. And so that the way to live in life is to give, give, give love. Or maybe you are conditioned to believe you were a priority, but you still give, give, give. So I I grew up in a home where you give. I grew up with parents who are givers, who are givers, who are givers. But what they never taught me is to expect that in return. That is to stand up when it's not being given in return. So my first major relationship of my adult life, I'm giving, 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 but I happened to stumble into a relationship with someone who was who had great need and was happy to take and take and take. Now she gave in some of her own ways, but she took and took and took, particularly as the relationship went on more and more and more. So giving, giving, giving incessantly works if and only if you are in a relationship with someone who is also giving, giving, giving. Then it's a little obnoxious, like Chippendale and the old Warner Brothers and, uh, you know, um, Bugs and that, the two little chipmunks. No, you go first. No, you go first, sir. No, I I insist. You know, that sort of back and forth gets a little silly at times. But unless you're in a relationship with an extreme giver, being an extreme giver doesn't work because you're going to find people who take. So back to your question. I always prioritize other people in my life, but it seems others won't prioritize me. Why is that? Because you're not prioritizing you. You're not standing up when they're not giving to you. You're still in relationships with people who don't prioritize you. And that that behavior pattern exhibits itself in others at a very early point in any relationship, friendship, anything. 
where someone is happy to take from you, but they never text you back. Or they are always you know, coming to your parties, but they never throw a party and entertain you. Or whatever it might be, there's an imbalance and it's always visible early. And if you tolerate that when it's early, that imbalance is only going to grow. Small things become big things, right? So these people in your life, are they, they're doing this. They're making themselves a priority and you're happy to give, give, give because you believe either A, always giving is a good thing, or B, you believe... Uh, that the only way you're ever going to get love is by giving incessantly, hoping to get a little bit of love in return. The relationship camel, like I was talking about, right? In the book. All right. And so what has to happen is you have to begin to say no. You have to find your no. And that means saying no when things don't feel good. Saying no when someone's not prioritizing you, whether it be in small things or big things. And that's terrifying to you because you've never done that before. You were never allowed to say no. You were never allowed to be angry. And so it means standing up for yourself and insisting that people give to you and when they don't, pull away from them. Or maybe you have to get out of the relationship entirely. But their treatment of you is a direct reflection of your treatment of yourself and how, what you expect from them. We condition people in how to treat us. Well, thank you so much. Rob, any parting thoughts? Yeah, you mentioned uh, Chip and Dale. It's Chip and Dale, the chipmunks. Yeah. You know how you can tell them apart? Oh. Chip had the black nose. He had the chocolate chip. Ah, how about that? So you can tell them apart. Yeah. How about that? Also, a great comment here from the woman we talked about with the that poor dog. She says, ready? Yep. Quote, you guys are kick-ass. Oh, shucks. Yeah, baby. Thank you. Thank you. All right, fine people. Casey is waving. That means it's time to go. Rob has said his piece. I am Sven Erlinson. To all of our listeners around the world, thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of The Lightning Round. Have a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of The Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day. Kick-ass day.